All right. Well, a really cool moment over the weekend on Saturday, the Tigers to the 20th combined no hitter in baseball history, but that kind of overshadowed probably isn't the right word, but kind of maybe distracted a lot of people from a really rough homestand yet again, heading into the all-star break. Let's talk about it all today on locked on Tigers. You are locked on Tigers, your daily Detroit Tigers podcast, part of the locked on podcast network. Your team every day. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another edition of Locked On Tigers. I'm, of course, your host, Scott Bentley. Today is Monday, July 10th, 2023. Thank you so much for making Locked On Tigers your first listen. Every single day, we are free and available wherever you get your podcasts, including YouTube, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team. Every day. Today's episode is brought to you by Sleeper. Swing for the fences on Sleeper Picks, and you can win up to 100 times your money. Download the Sleeper app and use promo code LOCKDOWN, and you'll get up to a $100 match on your first deposit. Terms and conditions apply. See Sleeper's terms of use for details. Currently operational in over 30 states. Check out Sleeper today. All righty. Well, the Detroit Tigers drop two of three. To the Toronto Blue Jays. I don't know why I had such a dramatic pause there. Uh, They lose two of three to Toronto. And Saturday was awesome. Okay. So I know some people are like, oh, combined no hitters aren't real and don't matter, whatever. That, you know, that's fine. You guys know me at this point. Like, I'm not going to tell anybody how to be a fan to each their own. Um, But in the same breath, like, let people enjoy things. (laughs) Like, this team has not brought a lot of enjoyable moments over the last seven or eight years. So, you know, just like let people enjoy things. But I, you know, to each their own, however you feel about it. Very cool moment to watch, though, regardless, uh, especially at home. Players only broadcast, hearing the players talk about it. You know, Todd Jones getting emotional there. It was pretty cool. Okay, pretty cool moment. That being said, we'll talk about the no-hitter more at length later in the show. Uh, but that cool moment should not completely overshadow. I keep saying overshadow, and that's not really what I mean. Should not distract is probably the better term. Everybody from the fact that this was a really brutal homestand, to be honest with you. They had a six-game homestand after the Colorado series. They had a day off going into it as well. And they went two and four against the worst team in baseball and the Blue Jays, who are certainly better than the Detroit Tigers. Far better roster. However have had their struggles this year and are not doing nearly as well as anyone, themselves included, anticipated they would. So, disappointing. Uh, If you would have won the series against Toronto, I know you were an out away, uh, but then maybe it's a little bit different. You can say, hey, I won a series against the Blue Jays. You know, you go three and three, but dropping two of three to Oakland is just so inexcusable and is just going to forever hold, not forever, I mean, they're 10 games under 500, but... Uh, That's just going to be the thing that keeps popping into everyone's mind when we hear, you know, record sense whenever. Like, as long as the period of time of the Oakland series is in that time frame, you're just going to be like, "Eh, probably should have been a few more wins in there, a couple more wins at least. So, um, yeah, I I mean, like I said, Saturday's great. I'm not going to take away from it at all. We're going to talk about how cool of a moment it was later. uh, But that doesn't unfortunately, remove the fact that this was a pretty disappointing, I mean, I'll just be straight up, a pretty disappointing homestand uh, and 
dropping 203 to Toronto, you know, expected. I don't want to call it expected, but probably was the more likely scenario. It sucks. And really for me, like, we'll we'll talk about this. I've already said this a million times. We'll talk about this a little at the very end of the show. This entire weekend really was just, uh, it wasn't a gut punch in terms of like my belief. Like I, I, you, I've been very open about how I don't think this team is good enough to really make a run or to make any noise in the second half. Their offense is still so brutal. Uh, but for me, the, it was just the constant reminder, like, oh, we're selling at the deadline. Like that, that's really all it was. If you were close enough on July 31st there might be some justification for like oh we'll just stand pat or like we'll make some small trades or whatever I think that ship is sailed I think Eduardo Rodriguez is gone I think there's a couple of other names that are gone we'll talk about that as we closer to the end of the month but that was really not that one series determines a whole lot but like maybe one homestand does maybe one six game homestand does if you're a Red Wings fan, this is kind of, I think somebody commented this on, on one of the A's series last week, but episodes, but like kind of similar to the Ottawa series, Not, you know, the Ottawa is obviously way better than the Oakland Athletics, but uh, just in terms of like kind of the fan base's perspective of what this team can accomplish. That's all. Okay. Let's talk about uh, the weekend. Let's talk about the games that were played, news and notes, et cetera. Riley Green and Alex Fajardo both return from injury this week. Alex Fajardo starts on Friday. He goes three and two-thirds, six hits, seven earned runs, two walks, two strikeouts. His ERA is now 6.98 on the year. You know, it's been speculated that Fajardo was probably a reliever long-term since I, I don't even know when, a while, like pre-Tommy John even. I, I want to say the kind of the, the whispers of that started in like 2019, maybe even 2018. Like it, it's it's been a while now because – He's always just kind of been a two-pitch pitcher, and then the injury on top of that really kind of pedaled to the metal that conversation. And then last year, everybody kind of took a step back and was like, oh, let's see, though. Let's see. And the reason for that was because the Tigers were so decimated with starting pitching injuries that he kind of had to start games, kind of just needed him to. And he wasn't, you know – uber amazing he didn't like change everybody's mind immediately and they were like oh this guy's an ace or whatever but he certainly wasn't awful either he's shown some flashes I, I remember last year he had a he had like a 17 or an 18 whiff outing and we were like oh wow like that's a lot of swings and misses he was he went six or maybe even seven innings a couple of times like there's a little bit of a stretch there where people were maybe a little more optimistic about him but he keeps getting hurt a and b even when he's on the mound He's not consistently able to go deep into games. And it comes back to a lot of the just having a two-pitch mix. And on Friday, the first time through the lineup, he was really good. And the second time through the lineup, he hung every single slider. It was, I really feel bad for the dude. Because, like, I mean, it was kind of remarkable how every single slider in, like, that was at the third or fourth inning was just like right over the heart of the plate, every single one he threw. And that's his best pitch, and it was ineffective the second time through the lineup, and he got rocked. So um, I don't know. Someone who's effective the first time through the lineup and not the rest kind of sounds like a reliever long-term to me, right? And then again, you added together already what was going on before, the injury concerns, et cetera, et cetera, no third pitch. I think it's time for that conversation to kind of just unfortunately rear its ugly head again. Now, 
I don't say reliever potential with a negative connotation like a lot of people. Relievers are very valuable and very important and necessary to winning teams, right? We're Tigers fans. We're very aware of what the downfall of the 2010 to 14 Tigers were. Um, yeah, Andrew Chafin has like the failed starter t-shirts. Like he owns it. Like I don't say that with negative connotation, but uh, I, I think it's probably time to have that conversation again. Now, Riley Green also came back this weekend. On Saturday, he reached base, I think, four times in his first game back and then hit the homer on Sunday. He's just so good. And I tweeted out something kind of stupid, I guess, in hindsight. Tweeted out something along the lines of, like, wow, like, this offense is different with Riley Green in it. It was something similar to that. Maybe slight paraphrasing. I don't remember my exact wording. But it was like, uh, you know, I, I remember using the word different. And I was like, uh, you know, the offense is a little different with Riley Green in it. And a lot of people very rightfully pointed out, like, uh, this offense sucks, dude. Like, even with Riley Green in it. Like, this offense blows. And I was like, oh, yeah, you're right. It does still suck. They scored five runs in two games. Like, even with Riley Green reaching base, like, at an over 50% clip over the weekend. You know what I mean? Like, so I, I think that it gives you more run production out of the top of the lineup, which, like, pretty much the entire weekend, all your runs came from production out of the top of the lineup. So I think it helps your top like three or four hitters um, that that green Torkelson Carpenter kind of trio, I think is going to produce some runs. Uh, but as a whole, and this is why I can't get any ex remote excitement out of being in, on a, in a historically awful division and only being four and a half or five and a half out of the break or whatever. Five and a half, I think. Because this offense is still just so, so unproductive. And when compared to the rest of baseball, bad. So it's it's unfortunate, but it's the truth. That being said, having Riley Green back is a very nice change of pace. He is going to add a ton of offense. I want to continue seeing his growth. They're going to play it safe with him by the sounds of it. It sounds like they're going to – he's not going to – he's either going to get a lot of days off and or play a lot of DH in the first like few weeks back from injury because they really want to make sure he doesn't re-aggravate anything and get hurt again. Um, but he played in center field on Sunday and, and everything seemed pretty fine. So, yeah, you know, Saturday and Sunday's games reminded me a lot of the May losses we would have, right? June, we kind of backed away from it a little bit, especially the second half of June, because like the whole offense was just kind of bad in every situation. But if you remember the May games, that those that was like the peak of like the, wow, this team is awful with risk, but they're actually getting dudes on base. Zach McKinstry had like 20 walks in May. Spencer Torkels had an 800 OPS in May. Uh, Ride the Green had an 1,000 OPS in May. Like Javi was hot for the first like week or this, maybe the second week, one of those weeks in May. Like they were getting runners on base in that month, but their offense as far as runs scored was still like, it moved up a little bit. It went in April, they were 30th. Uh, and in May, they were like 25 or 24 or something. So like, I, that's what Saturday and Sunday felt like. Like, oh, we're getting some runners on base. We just are right back to the risk conversation that we had earlier in the season. So, um, yeah. But Riley Greenback, let's talk about Jonathan Scope. One of the big storylines of the weekend. Uh, No-hitter, obviously the biggest. If the no-hitter didn't happen, the Jonathan Scope conversation would probably be the biggest conversation. So let's talk about that. The end of the Jonathan Scope era in Detroit. But first, I got to tell you all about our friends over at better help this episode is brought to you by better help sometimes in life we're faced with tough choices and the path forward isn't always clear whether you're 
dealing with decisions around your career, relationships, or anything else. Therapy helps you stay connected to what you really want while you navigate life so you can move forward with the confidence and excitement that you deserve. Trusting yourself to make decisions that align with your values is like anything else. The more you practice it, the easier it gets. If you're thinking of starting starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to fit your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire, you're matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time with no additional charges, which is an awesome feature. Um, because as someone, I've been going to therapy for five years now. Uh, I, I mean, I end every episode with going to therapy is dope, right? Like everybody is very well aware of, of my advocacy for uh, therapy and if having the right person is very, very important. And it truly is, uh, if you allow it to be, it can be a life-changing experience. I still go weekly, uh, even after five years and, and, uh, yeah, it, it has certainly been one of the biggest things in my life. So let therapy be your map with better help. Visit betterhelp.com slash locked on MLB today to get 10% off of your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash locked on MLB. All right, everybody, welcome back here. Segment two of Locked on Tigers. I appreciate you all for tuning in. Thank you for making us your first listen every day. Shout out to the everydayers that do tune in every day. We'll be back tomorrow recapping the first 10 rounds of the Major League Baseball draft. Very, very excited. As you're listening to this, you already know the fate of the Tigers. I do not. I'm recording this before the draft because I, well, I I will be on a live stream during the draft. As you're listening to this, it's already over. So I was on a live stream uh, during the draft. And uh, yeah, so we're going to spend this episode, just talk about the games that were played and then we'll do tomorrow's show. And that will be the complete draft recap. Hoping for Cruz or Langford. We'll see what happens. Yeah. I'm, I'm saying this, not knowing you're listening to this going, Oh, is he in for a surprise? I mean, what's not one of those two. So we can hope we'll talk about it tomorrow. Um, Back to this game, or this weekend rather, Jonathan Scope gets DFA to start off the weekend. We knew it was going to be Marisnik or Scope, right? Like very apparently, we knew it was going to be Marisnik or Scope. Um, Marisnik would have been a straight outfielder for outfielder swap, whereas Scope was more of a, he just isn't providing anything offensively, uh, just at all. And uh, it's unfortunate. I will very much appreciate the first two years that he gave this team, uh, you know, 2020 and 2021, he was one of the best hitters in this lineup in a lineup that was not very good. And the lineup in 2021 that overachieved like that. He, he was a, a, a important part of kind of those teams, but there's no denying or, or sugarcoating the fact that the last calendar year and a half has just been really, really brutal uh, and really unproductive for Jonathan Scope. Um, last year, he at least gave you the super plus defense at second. He's not even really playing second anymore. He's playing like an average third. And I think if you rank offense, depending on what metric you use, he might literally be the worst qualified hitter in Major League Baseball over the last year and a half. So uh, it was it was time. Uh, I'm surprised he made it to July 1st or June 1st, nonetheless, July 1st. Uh, but it, it's, it was time, unfortunately. So I uh, appreciate Jonathan Scope for the first two years. And it was just time. And we'll see what happens with him. We'll see if he, you know, another team kind of takes a chance on him or whatnot. But 
the Jonathan Scope era in Detroit is officially over. Yeah, I don't really have too much else to say. Like, it ju- it made sense. We kind of broke down the why him over Mariznick thing on Friday's episode. So it, we don't really have to go down that rabbit hole again. Um, it just kind of made sense. You have a lot of people who can still play all the infield positions, right? Second and third, especially. You have multiple people who can fill that role. Um, and they also mentioned, and this is something we talked about on this show back in like March, in like spring training, right? Matt Vierling was taking ground balls at third and in the infield over the weekend. Hasn't played there yet, but took grounders there. Again, we talked about that back in February, March. Uh, Matt Vierling has had a professional experience at third base. And going into the season, I was under the impression that he was going to get a legitimate look there. Uh, How legitimate that is, you know, if it's every day or if it's once a week or just once in a blue moon, whatever, we'll see. Uh, But I am honestly, if you would have told me in February that Matt Vierling would only record innings in the outfield for the first, like the entire opening day until the all-star break, the entire first half of the season, I would have been surprised in February to hear that. So this is not the most shocking thing in the world to me, uh, just because we've kind of been talking about the possibility of this ever since we acquired him. Uh, But given the fact that he has only played in the outfield so far as a tiger, it definitely is going to be a different look. We'll see how he handles it. If he doesn't handle it well, he doesn't handle it well. And it's just a short experiment and he's over and he's moved back to the outfield. We still have plenty of infielders to cover the diamond. Like it's not like a thing that he needs to be able to be good at. Um, But we'll see. I do expect them to give him a legitimate shot there. So we'll see what happens. Um, no hitter. Let's talk about that. That was fun. Wasn't it Saturday? The Tigers to the 20th combined no hitter in major league baseball history. The first combined no hitter in Tigers history and the first no hitter for the Tigers period since Spencer Turnbull, the first no hitter at home for the Tigers since Justin Verlander against the Brewers, uh, well over 10 years ago now. So very cool moment. Like I said at the beginning, I know some people are just, of the belief that, uh, you know, combined no hitters don't matter or are stupid or don't count and whatever. And that that's, again, that's fine. You, everybody takes in baseball and and roots for baseball and appreciate baseball in different ways. So that's more than fine. Uh, I just, I, I don't understand like the, you shouldn't be happy or like celebrate it thing either. That's another extreme. That's just as ridiculous. Like just let people enjoy things, man. Like it's not, it's not I promise. It doesn't hurt. Um, so it was a really cool moment, a really special moment. It was great to see the players only broadcast broadcast that game. I know everybody had varying opinions on the broadcast as a whole, but uh, just having a bunch of dudes who have been in that situation have been in a clubhouse, have been Tigers during no-hitters. Like, all three of those dudes have were literally Detroit Tigers at one point when a no-hitter was thrown. Like, that's just such a cool thing. And to have them in that situation and be able to talk about, like, what it means to the players and, and what it means to the fans and how cool it is. Like, we had national media on us, which hasn't happened in almost a decade now. All of it very cool. And I know Alex Lang became bad guy on Sunday, and we'll talk about the Sunday performance later. But 
He was very sharp and very effective on Saturday. Jason Foley should be the all-star of this team. It's an absolute travesty that he's not going to be in Seattle. I think it's ridiculous. He is undoubtedly one of the best relievers in the entire game of baseball and deserves to be in the all-star game where those caliber of players are showcased. Uh, but he looked fantastic. Matt Manning. Matt Manning was incredible in this ball game. He obviously goes six and what was it one third, two thirds of no hit baseball on Saturday. This was the best Matt Manning we have ever seen as a professional. This might be Matt Manning's best start of his entire life at any level. And not in like, I'm sure in high school, he was a first round pick. I'm sure in high school, he threw, you know, like no hitters or a perfect game or something like that. But just in terms of who you're going up against, how your stuff looked, how you executed your pitches, it's not even really close to me. This was the best version of Matthew Manning we've ever seen. Six and two thirds, no hits, three walks, five strikeouts, no runs, obviously. The pitch mix was what was incredible in this one. He goes 91 pitches, 34 four-seam fastballs, 30 sliders, 27 curveballs. Absolutely phenomenal pitch mix. And on top of that, all of them had CSW percentage, called strikes plus whiffs percentages of 29 to 33%. His overall CSW was 31% on the game. Almost one of every three pitches he threw for the entire outing were either a called strike or a swinging miss strike. That is a very, very solid number, especially given 91 pitches. He had four swing and misses on the slider, one on the curveball. The biggest thing that we, the two biggest things rather, that we have talked about in Matt Manning's entire professional career, dating back to when he was in the minors and when he was just drafted and how can we get this dude to reach his ceiling? The two biggest things have always been fastball command and third pitch. The fastball command in this game, the first inning and a half, two innings maybe with the rain and everything was a little all over the place. He walked some batters. He hit a batter, you know, a little shaky ish from innings like the end of the second until that seventh inning when he got pulled. It, he was absolutely lights out. He was lethal. Um, oh, Jake Marisnik was just designated for assignment. Trey Winginter is back from the 60-day IL. Trey Winginter, for those who don't remember, was uh, in this bullpen for the first month of the season and has been hurt ever since. I think he's been hurt since like late April. He's been hurt for a while. And one of the pickups this offseason – He's been optioned to AAA Toledo, but he is off of the 60-day IL. So if you're on the 60-day, you don't take up a 40-man roster spot. If you're off the 60-day, obviously you do. They had to make room for him. They chose Jake Marisnik. So there you go. Jake Marisnik has been DFA'd. Uh, he wasn't going to last like the rest of the season. Uh, and honestly, he's probably going to find a job somewhere else, maybe even as a depth piece with a contender. I wish nothing but the best for him. He was a fantastic he did, ex I mean, he wasn't, you know, an MVP candidate or whatever, but he did exactly what we signed up for. He was an okay nine hitter and played good defense. So wishing nothing but the best for Jake Marisnik. Um, if, if he doesn't get picked up, maybe they can try to convince him to stick around in Toledo. We'll see. But that would require like every other team pretty much saying, no, we don't have a major league spot for you. So we'll see what happens there. 
Um, okay, so there you go. New roster update literally just happened as I was recording this. Uh, back to Matt Manning. The fastball is a elite pitch for Matt Manning. We talked about this over the offseason. His fastball had one of the best run values in the entire game of baseball last season. And when it's commanded well and located well, it is a lethal, lethal pitch. Now, there's some velocity shakiness. Not that it's bad, really, ever, but it's inconsistent. He'll pump 98 and then sit 91, and you're like, what is happening? But the slider looked really good, and the curveball was a great pitch in this ball game. Eight called strikes on the curveball, just dotting it low and away the entire outing. Best pitch sequencing we've ever seen from him. Best uh, pitch mix we've ever seen from him. And from the third until the end of the second, until he got pulled. Best fastball command we've seen from him in quite a while either. Quite a while as well. Very, very good stuff from Matt Manning. Um, Okay, it was a cool moment. It was a cool moment. Not like I said, not a lot of cool moments in the last seven, eight years of Detroit Tigers baseball. So I'm going to take all the cool moments I can get. And shout out to Eric Haas. I know that offensively, it's been a struggle for Haas. We're all very well aware of that. And I'm not really sure he's longed for the roster, to be honest with you. Um, but that's that dude's second no hitter that he's caught in his career. And. For a hometown kid to be able to catch two no-hitters for the Detroit Tigers is a pretty cool thing. And that is an awesome, awesome moment that he deserves. No matter what his future on the roster is, no matter if he figures it out at the plate or not, um, I I know we've talked about how Jake Rogers is the better defensive catcher and and whatnot. And we've a lot of people have taken their shots on Eric Haas this year because he hasn't been very productive. But uh, without a doubt, a moment we can't take away from him. And and I, I hope that he relishes it. And uh, yeah, I, I, I want y'all to really understand how big of a deal it is for a catcher to catch a no-hitter. That's an unbelievable thing. So hats off to Eric Haas, uh, despite the season. Very, very cool moment for him. Okay, let's talk about the remainder of the weekend. We got a lot to talk about with the offense. We got to talk Tarek Skubal and kind of just where this team stands at the all-star break. We will do that right after I tell y'all about our friends over at sleeper sleeper rocks. If you want to win, if you want the chance to win more money with less picks, head to sleeper where you can win up to 100 times your money in just two or more fantasy baseball picks. If you want to win 100 times your money on daily fantasy baseball, sleeper is now offering 100 times the payout for up to eight pick contests. Choose as many as eight players that you like. Pick more or less on your favorite baseball stats like home runs, hits, and more. And get your picks right and you could win big. Sleeper rocks. I've been using it for my fantasy games for a while. Now diving into this world, it's awesome. It's the fastest growing fantasy, daily fantasy, and just overall fantasy experience out there. And it's for a good reason. It's because it is the best in the business. So use promo code LOCKDOWN and you'll get up to $100 match on your first deposit. Terms and conditions apply. See Sleeper's details for use of details. Currently operational over 30 states. Check out Sleeper today. All right, everybody. Welcome back. 
Third and final segment here, Locked on Tigers. Tarek Skubal pitched this weekend, his second outing back. He pitched on Sunday. He was also phenomenal. Uh, he would end up, would they pull him after the fourth? I have to box score jump on Sundays. I apologize. Uh, four innings, two hits, no earned runs, two walks, five strikeouts. He's a zero ERA since coming back in two outings. Uh, they're still easing him into it, clearly, which is why, you know, some people were questioning why he got pulled after four. I mean, yeah, he's just coming off an injury where he didn't pitch for a year. They're going to really kind of, I don't want to use the term baby him into it, but they're going to be very cautious with Tarek Skubal. Um, the biggest thing for me in this one, his fastball is explosive right now. And uh, it always has been, but it looks different this year than it even did last year. It has an extra gear to it. It's spinny. It goes 97. Uh, and today it was pretty much unhittable. It was the most thrown pitch in his repertoire. And it had a CSW percentage of almost 50%. That is unbelievable. He legitimately went four innings and half of the most thrown pitch he threw was either a swinging strike, swinging miss strike, or a called strike. It was basically unhittable. The like three times it was put in play, it was all weak contact as well. The average exit, exit velocity on it was 60-something miles an hour. So yeah, we'll take that. Uh, the secondary stuff, I still think, well, it, I mean, it's not like bad or anything, but he's still got some steps to get that back to where it was. The changeup, I thought, looked good in this game. He's He's so good. He's so good. I'm so glad he's back and healthy. But um, if your best pitch is an effective pitch, you're going to be able to, to be a pretty darn good pitch. You're going to be all right. So good to see him just pound the fastball, be really aggressive with it. I was very, very impressed from uh, what I saw from him on Sunday. Let's talk about the offense, and then we'll get out of here. Okay? We're going to do a quick little outlook heading into the all-star break thing as well. But uh, the offense was – Brutal this weekend. And like I said earlier in the show, I, I tweeted something about that. And Riley Green's back. You know, the offense is better. And it, it got more people on base, but it didn't score any more runs than it usually did. And that's – I mean, we can go one by one if you want, again, like we usually do. Like McKinstry had a nice rip on Sunday, got on base a couple of times over the weekend. Riley Green, we already talked about, was great. Spencer Torkelson, a couple of knocks on Sunday, one double uh, to score a run on Saturday. Good to see him get some hit. I mean, a 7-11 OPS at the All-Star break. It's not the greatest thing in the world. It's not even league average, but it's certainly better than it was at one point in, in May, right? So we'll see what kind of second half he can put together. The biggest thing with Torque is, and a lot of people have started to point this out, like his numbers when he pulls the ball are incredible. He does damage when he pulls the baseball. Anything else that's not pulled doesn't have very good odds of doing a lot of damage. So everybody's just saying, just pull the ball, dude. And obviously it's a lot easier said than done, but uh, that's something that a lot of people are kind of looking out for. It's just like how often and consistent consistently excuse me can he pull the baseball because if he can do it relatively consistently he's going to be a, a pretty decent hitter so we'll see what happens there Kerry Carpenter not the greatest weekend in the world OPS down to 801 though still one of the best hitters on the team Javi buys with a couple of singles his OPS is now 589 <laughs> I, I mean cool Akio back we should talk about that he also got reinserted into this lineup, came back with Riley Green. Uh, Akil Badu 
it, it's interesting. He had a couple of really solid games before getting hurt. Uh, but we do have to remember that it was kind of a struggle for him before that like little bit of a hot stretch. Like he didn't have a barrel until that home run in Washington, like not even a barrel, nonetheless, a Homer. Uh, so, I mean, his OPS on the year is 662 after Sunday. Like, it's not like uh, Akil Badu was this proven, you know, he's going to be guaranteed uh, be an uptick in production from what we've been putting in the outfield, especially. So I still believe in Badu. I think he puts together decent at-bats. His walk rate is good. I like a good walk rate, but needs to really get the swing mechanically to where it can be consistently repeatable. I think that that's the biggest thing. Like, when his swing is on, he can crush baseballs and be a really effective hitter. Uh, But we saw last year his swing was totally out of whack, and that's when the production really dipped. So uh, we'll see what he does in the second half, but nice to have him back and make an impact even when he's not hitting and that's something that this team needs an impact in any regard they can get. So good to see Badu back and healthy. Miguel Cabrera, more hits. Andy Abanez, a couple more knocks. Eric Haas, a lot of offers. 542 OPS is so brutal. We'll see what happens with him in the second half of the season. It would not shock me if Eric Haas uh, did not make it to August on this team. So we'll see. Uh, I mean, really, the biggest thing with the offense is they're, again, they're just still not very good. And that that was the big reservation from a lot of people about like, oh, we're only four and a half or five or five and a half out of it, but we're getting Riley Green back. We're getting Akil Badu back. We're getting two of our best, our two best starting pitchers back. Like, watch out. I mean, yeah, the, the, they should be better than they were when everybody was hurt, but this offense is is still, I mean, we can just go through the OPSs like we used to. Like, this offense is still not good, even with the insertion of all these players. And so that leads me to the outlook at the All-Star break. We're here. We're 10 games under 500 with 39 and 50, so 11 games under 500 at the All-Star break. They're selling. It's really the, the only thing that kept going through my mind this entire weekend was not like, oh, I really believed in this team and I'm heartbroken and whatever. Like, nah. I haven't been, you all, you are all very aware. I, I haven't been on board with this team being actually competitive and actually good enough to make a run at any point this season. So I haven't been heartbroken, heartbroken, heartbroken. Like I, I wasn't heartbroken on Sunday in a, in a July loss to a team that's better than us. Every loss was just like, yeah, we're selling. That's the only thing that crossed my mind. Erod's gone. There's some other names that are gone too. And we'll talk about that as we get closer to the deadline, obviously. Cisnero, likely gone. We can, I don't even want to have the Alex Lang discussion right now. Um, we'll, we'll talk about that, though, for sure, at length. But, like, they're going to sell. That's what these losses mean. Team is no closer or further away from competing, really, even with all these players in it. You drop two of three to Oakland and the Blue Jays at home. They're sellers, and they have been for seven years, and they still are. That's what I took out of it. Uh, hope the draft goes well. We will talk about a... We will have a complete draft recap tomorrow. Well, rounds one through 10 
Uh, we won't be recapping. I think Tuesday is when the 11 through 20 are. So we won't be able to recap those obviously on tomorrow's episode, but um, yeah, it'll be fun. Hopefully we take, I don't know. There's rumors about Dylan Cruz, maybe falling to three Langford going one. Who knows? I, I don't even want to, I'm very nervous and I have about an hour and a half until the draft starts for me in my reality. So wish me luck. Thanks for making Locked On Tigers your first listen every day. For your next listen, check out Locked On MLB. Sully does a great job over there. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow recapping the MLB draft. Shout out to the everydayers that do tune in every day. I appreciate y'all. I was, I'm very scatterbrained. I feel like this was not one of my better episodes, to be completely honest with you. Um, but I got a lot of, of juices flowing with the draft an hour away, and I've been doing prep all day, and um, – the brain's going a million miles an hour here. So I apologize if I was kind of scatterbrained in this one. Hopefully we'll be a little more calmed down tomorrow. All right. Peace and love. Going to therapy's dope. I'll catch you all then, baby. Go Tigers. Oh, hi.